right, so we're going to continue on in our series on the Sermon on the Mount, learning to walk in the ways of Jesus. This is the best sermon ever preached, and there's so much that we can learn from it. We can learn so richly from this sermon. So we're going to continue on, starting at Matthew 5, if you have your Bibles. 5, verse 21 to 37. So this is a bit of a longer passage. So let's read it together. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, which basically means empty-headed, kind of a, a way of uh, just saying something rude to someone. Anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answered to, answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. That is a heavy statement. Come on, remote, you got this. Jeff, are you able to switch these slides for me? Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So those are three, kind of three standalone topics that we're all, we're looking at all together today. Um, so a sermon could be preached on each one of those. They're, they're all very significant topics. But there's a common thread and a common theme that way through all of these passages. And that theme is being at peace with one another. Being at peace with brothers and sisters in Christ. Being at peace with our spouse. Uh, these are the main things that Jesus is, is focusing on here. This is the main thread that weaves its way through these passages. The Lord values unity so much. Did you hear the strong language in this passage of Jesus' Jesus's commands to us? He values unity so heavily and really values when we come together and are in, living in agreement with one another. So, I hope you recognize the seriousness of Jesus' commands. He's not just saying, I hope you guys just get along. I hope you do your best to just be nice to each other or pretend to be nice to each other. He has said some heavy 
heavy things here. He says, if you say you fool to another brother and sister in Christ, if you're angry with them without cause, uh, you are in danger of the fire of hell. Isn't that a serious, should, that should kind of wake us up. <laughs> Anytime Jesus is talking to believers and says, you are in danger of hell, we should pay attention to what he's saying here. This is serious. The Lord is not okay with disunity in his church. He's not okay with it. So my question is, why are we okay with it? Why are there times when we're okay with negative feelings towards other believers? Towards, why are we okay with having bitter feelings that, that just stew inside of our hearts towards other Christians? That's, we should not be okay with that. Why are we okay with looking at the pastor up the street and saying, that guy's, an, that guy's a, a loser, he's an idiot? Why are we okay with that? Why are we okay with tearing people down? We should not be okay with this. And maybe you're saying, I don't do that. I don't get angry at other believers. I'm, I don't really feel anger randomly. But uh, what about those feelings of bitterness? Those feelings when someone says something to you and you say, oh, that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. It always starts there, doesn't it? That someone will say something that just kind of, ooh, that kind of hurt a little bit. And what do we normally do? We always just let it stew. We let it simmer. And all of a sudden, we want nothing to do with that person anymore. It all starts there. It all starts with these small things that creep into our heart. And so we have to be so diligent to, to root those things out as soon as they come. As soon as you have that negative thought about another believer or about your spouse or about whoever, anyone in your life, you have to root that out quick. So important to root that out quickly. So we have to take this command very seriously. I talk about reconciliation a lot. I don't, I don't know if you've noticed it, but it, it's one of the things that God has put on my heart that he loves when his church is in unity. So this is so important for us. Why is this important? Why are you able to switch slides there, Jeff? Why is unity so important in the church? There's a number of reasons why. The first reason I see in scripture, Jesus talks about this principle of a kingdom divided against itself. He says, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. And when Jesus talks about this, he's talking about the kingdom of darkness. Um, so in Mark 3, verse 24 to 25, Jesus says, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. This is a very, a pretty simple principle. And I think we've all probably experienced this at some point in our life when we've seen either churches that have been in disunity that have that it's caused church splits or in our families we've had moments where our families are not reconciled to one another and it splits our families we've seen this the last covid anyone anyone see any splits during covid it was horrible that was terrible that was so distressing to see christians arguing with each other and unable to to realize that these people, we're, we're all rational human beings and we have reasons for our perspectives. That was hard. So a kingdom that's divided against itself cannot stand. And the kingdom of God will never fall. 
because God's the king. But if we as his believers are not walking in, in the principles of the kingdom, uh, we will fall. Our churches will fall. Our relationships will fall. So uh, this is one of the reasons why it's so important for us to have unity. Unity also strengthens the power of our prayer. Jesus, when he was teaching about prayer, he said, if two of you agree anything that you ask for, it will be done, done by my Father in heaven. Why did Jesus say that? Why didn't he just say, you pray and I'll answer it? He said, he wants us to agree in prayer. He wants us to be in unity in prayer. He said, when two, or, two of you agree in prayer, I will answer it. It just shows the Father's heart for unity. When his church is praying together towards the same things, the Lord loves that. He values that. He blesses that. And there is so much power in united prayer. When a whole church is praying in the same direction, wow, that can transform uh, a city. It can transform a nation. And kind of along the same line, the Lord blesses unity. God blesses unity. In Psalm 133, it says, How good and pleasant is it when God's people live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard. I'm not sure what that image means, but <laughs> it's like precious oil pouring down, down on the collar of his robe. It's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing even life forevermore. So where the Lord's people are living together in unity, there the Lord bestows his blessing. He blesses that. He loves when his people are living together in unity. And I think all of this really comes down to the fact that God, the heart of God is love. That's why he wants us to live together in unity. Love is his ultimate purpose for us. That's why he created us. He created us to grow in our love for him and in our, our love for one another. And God established his church to be an image of his love. He says, when you see my disciples loving one another, that's how you know that's my church. I'm there present with them. Love is the embodiment of God's church. And that's why he created us. I always think about why, isn't it so interesting that God the way God created his church, God could have gone to, Jesus when he was here, could have gone to one of his, maybe his super apostles and said, hey Peter, I want you to be the next person to carry on my mission and to carry, carry out the ministry. But he didn't do that. He, he picked 12 and he said, I want all of you to go out and I want all of you to multiply and spread my mission to, to a group of people so that they, they can all uh, lead together. He purposefully created us to be a, a multiplication of people, all serving together, all working together. And God knew that we would struggle. He knew that we would have problems in our relationships. We even see this in the New Testament, disciples arguing with each other over who's the greatest, better than you are. God knew this would happen, and he still purposefully created us this way, created his church this way so that we could grow in our love together and learn, learn how to love one another. Isn't love something that we kind of have to learn? It's something that we're not all good at. We're, we're kind of naturally selfish. Anyone want to feel that way? 
And you look at their life and like, why did I do that? That's so selfish of me. But it's, it's something that we learn to grow in. We learn to grow in humility and love. So the heart of God is love. And this is really why he calls us to unity. I'm sure it's like when you look at your kids, if you have kids, and they're bickering and arguing with each other. That hurts a parent's heart. But when you see them, our, our kids play together, when you see them playing together, uh, it just brings joy to your heart that they're living in unity together. And I think this is the heart of the Father. Let's take this message to heart. This is a very simple message for us. Be at peace with one another. Be at peace with one another. If there's people in your life, and especially in the church together, who you have those little feelings, you know what that is, that, oh, I don't really want to spend time with them. I'm going to go sit over at this table over here. If you have anything like that going on in your heart, you have to, be, you have to get that out of there. Rip that out. We can't let things stew in our hearts. Um, now, I'm not oblivious. I recognize that when it comes to relationships, sometimes it's very complicated. It's very complicated. Um, I wish it was more simple. I wish you could just study a manual and say, okay, now I figure out this is how relationships work. I can just make all my relationships happen. But when it comes to relationships, we bring in all of our baggage, we bring in all of our family relationships and our, the things we've learned in childhood. Uh, we bring in our heart dispositions. We bring in our actions. Our, there's, there's so many elements of a relationship that oftentimes when we're in conflict with someone, it's very difficult to, to pull it all out and say, okay, here's, this is the root of the problem here. Because relationships are complicated. And... My message this morning will simplify things quite a bit, but, but sometimes it's hard. Sometimes you need others to walk alongside you to help you figure out, how do I address this situation? How do I understand this conflict? It's very real hurt involved. When we're hurt by someone, that affects us so deeply, so deeply. It's so difficult to reconcile at certain points. So I don't want to sound like I'm dismissing hurt, but... Uh, but I want us to rely on the Lord's grace to push through that hurt. So this morning, I want to offer just a couple very practical tools for walking through conflict. These are just simple tools. I learned one of them in university, and it's just very simple. It's something you can use if you're in a situation where you're in conflict with someone. These are ways that can help you walk through the conflict. So the first chart is called an action, intent, and effect chart. Now, what is this? Often in situations of conflict, um, there's often an action or a word spoken that causes the conflict. Almost every conflict has some kind of thing that happened where we say, oh, wow, this, this was bad, and it caused some kind of division or conflict. The intent of that action, well, always, well, often, the intent of that action is hidden. So we don't actually know why the person did that action because they haven't said it. And oftentimes the effect of that action is also hidden. So what do I mean by this? Let's, let's use an example. So if you could pull up my, uh, my case study here, Jeff. 
All right, so this is Jim and Chris. Jim and Chris, they both work in an office together. I don't know why Chris has construction gear on, but do what you want. So they both work in an office together, and they, and so, <laughs> so, J sorry, Jerry and Chris. This is Jerry. All right, so Jerry loves getting things done. He's a type A personality. He's always a go-getter. He's always uh, just very keen on getting things done and, and always jumping to things. Um, so one day, they walk to the office. Jerry walks into the office, and he notices that Chris is gone. And Chris has some paperwork left on his desk that he hasn't finished yet. And Jerry says, I'm going to do something really nice for Chris. I'm going to finish his paperwork for him. And so that when he comes in tomorrow, he's going to be so excited and say, oh, wow, who finished my paperwork? That's amazing. I don't have to do it. So Jerry does what some people with these type A personalities do, and he works through all of Chris's stuff, and he puts it down. Then the next day, Chris comes in, and Chris says, who did my paperwork? And the other coworker says, uh, I think Jerry did it. And he says, why would he do that? Uh, it sounds like he's just trying to get a promotion. He's trying to over, he wants the boss to see him working really well. Um, he's just, maybe he's trying to make me look bad. Is that why he did it? Why would he touch my stuff? That's my, those are my documents that I'm working through. He, he doesn't have a good sense of boundaries. And so, so Chris starts to get these feelings of bitterness. You guys see, see how an action was intended to be good uh, caused some conflict. It was, the intent of the action was good. Um, oh, I, I, wrote, I wrote Jim up there, but his name's Jerry. We'll go with so, <laughs> so I don't know his name, Jim or Jerry. So Jerry was trying to do something good. He said, I, I want to do something good just to help you out. But you see how the effect of that action, um, Chris felt like his boundaries were overstepped. And so it caused conflict. Now, there was an action that was seen by both of them, but the unseen, the uh, uh, intent and the effect were unseen. So when we use this tool, this tool is very simple. In that when you're having a conversation with someone that you're in a conflict with, you can basically just bring these unseen things to light. And then when you're having your conversation, say, you can talk about the intent. What was your intent? in doing my paperwork. And you're basically these things that often happen inside of us. This is where the bitterness builds up. And we're exposing it. And we're saying, why did you do that? And so Jim or Jerry, whatever, say, I was really just trying to help. I really wanted to help you. I saw that you were not doing so well. So I thought I would help. And Chris could say, well, you know, when you did that, that I kind of felt like you were crossing boundaries a little bit. So if you expose the intent and the effect, it can often make it easier to resolve. Now, this may sound very intuitive. It may be something that you're like, yeah, that's obvious. But I've seen so many conflicts where people just aren't willing to talk to the person. They aren't willing to just go confront the person and say, listen, why did that happen? Why did you do that? And that's the first step, is getting to that place where you're willing to talk about the conflict. Maybe it's helpful. I don't know if it's helpful. Then you can use that tool.
Another tool that's, that's helpful in conflict resolution is uh, called the LARAR tool. Sometimes they don't have the last R, so sometimes it's the LARA tool. LARAR kind of sounds like a lion. LARAR. LARAR. So with this tool, this is a tool that you can use when you're actually having a conversation with someone who you're in conflict with. Okay? So you've both decided, yes, I want to meet with this person and I want to talk through this conflict. This is a, a, just a simple tool that can help you to have a conversation. Because sometimes those conflict conversations are not, they don't go well. So this is a tool. The first step is listen. Did you guys hear me? Listen. Listen. This is probably the most important step. When you're talking with someone who you're in conflict with, listen. Don't jump to defend yourself. We all want to. When someone is accusing us of something or, or saying something that we don't believe to be true, we want to jump in and say, what's wrong? But listen to what the person is saying. Oftentimes, they will sh reveal something that's, that's actually true or something. There's some element of truth in what they're saying. So just be, be intentional with listening to the person. The next step is affirm. Now, this is really significant. I've, found, I've actually found this to be really helpful when you're talking with someone who's really agitated or really coming and they're stressed. If you affirm... Maybe not the thing that they're bringing to you, but affirm something about what they're saying. It can really help a person let their guard down. And you can do this with anything someone says to you. Even if you totally disagree with what they're saying, you can often still affirm the person. So in this example, Chris might come to Gary and he might confront him about the paperwork and say, hey, what, why did you do my paperwork? And um, Jerry, Jerry might jump in and say, uh, yeah, I just did it because I was trying to help, and why are you so upset about it? That's not a good way to engage in that conversation. Um, Jerry could affirm Chris by saying, listen, I, I really appreciate you telling me that. I really appreciate that because I, I didn't realize that was something you were stressed about. So it can be as simple as that, just saying, I appreciate that you told me that because I want to make this right. It's simple. It's just affirming the Affirming that their feelings are not crazy, even if, even if they are. Even if their feelings are crazy. <laughs> you can still just affirm it and say, I appreciate you. You're basically saying, I appreciate you. So I appreciate you sharing that and, and telling me that. I didn't realize you felt that way. Affirm the person. Affirm that there's some kind of truth in what they're saying. Now respond. Respond. This is where we all want to slam the hammer and say, this is what actually happened. But no, I find one of the most helpful things to do in conflict situations is to use feeling-based language. And what that means is if, if someone, well, what's a good example? Um, if someone says something rude, sometimes our natural inclination is to say, you're rude. That was rude. What you did was rude. And you're pointing the finger at them saying that you are rude <laughs> and that doesn't help. If you use feeling-based language, you're not focusing on the effect, but you're, or sorry, you're not focusing on the intent of what they said, you're focusing on the effect on you. Remember that chart? You're focusing on the effect of their comments on you and you're saying, listen, when you said that, that really hurt me. That made me feel really upset. 
So you're taking it on yourself. You're not, you're not combating with, a, with another hit. You're saying, I felt really hurt by that. And, and it just makes it so much, people let their guards down when you, when you have conversations like this. So feeling-based language, really helpful in conflict. Ask questions is the A. When you're discussing something with someone, it really validates the person when you just ask questions and say, listen, why, why did you feel that way? What about that made you feel? Um, sometimes asking questions, asking questions just affirms that the person has, that you're interested in what the person's going to say. That relationship with the person. So if you're asking them, listen, why did you feel that? What was there a reason why? Or it shows, and actually be curious for the. Actually be curious to receive that answer. And the last step is resolve. If and what I mean by this is apologize or forgive if needed. Make things right. Apologize, forgive the person. Uh, this is what Jesus invites us into. He, he doesn't want us to, to have this perpetual conflict with others. So when a situation gets to that point where you say, hey, maybe I did do something wrong. I'm really sorry. I'll, I will try not to do that again. Apologize. Or if you hurt, you have to take that step and forgive. If the person is saying, I'm sorry, you have to get release that bitterness to them and say, I forgive you. That is probably the most important piece of this is releasing that bitterness. And, and after the situation's over, don't hold the bitterness in your heart. Don't let it sit there. Because you can, you can get over the, the conversation and seem to have things resolved, but then you just carry this baggage with you and just say, okay, well, that person's like that, so I'm not going to trust them anymore. But release that baggage. Release it through forgiveness. Say, I don't hold against you. I release that to you. So I hope those are helpful. Some things that I've, I've seen and things that I've learned. Um, if there's other things that you find helpful in your conflict, conflict resolution situation, you're, you're welcome to share at some point. I'd love to hear. But really the heart of... The heart of all this has to do with what Jesus is telling us. Live at peace with one another. If there's anyone in your life that you are not at peace with, go and make it right. Okay? Go and make it right. Don't allow any feelings of bitterness in your heart. They're, they're probably going to come at some point. You're going to get hurt by people at some point, especially in the church. It's going to happen. We're going to rub each other the wrong way. I'm sorry. That's just a part of living in community. If you're not loving people the wrong way, you're probably not living in community with people. It's the people we live closest to that rub us the wrong way. It's like, ah, I love you so much, but you rub me the wrong way. That's how you know you're really growing in your love, that you start to rub up against each other. And it's so important for us to walk through that hurdle of conflict and to, to really walk past these conflicts that we have and to, to deepen in our love for one another. There's another scripture that talks about 
Oh, it's to one's overlook an insult in Proverbs. It says, it's to your glory to overlook an insult. If someone insults you, just straight up says something against you, it's to your glory to just overlook it and say, I'm not going to let that hit me. I'm not going to let it hit my heart. That's, that's growing in godly character. Growing in righteousness. So, that's my encouragement to you today. Make peace with others. Be very diligent in seeking your heart and saying, is there, Lord, is there anyone in my life that, in, that I'm not at peace with right now? I, I've been learning a lot about uh, alcoholics. And in their 12 steps, two of their steps have to do with making reconciliation with people in your life. And it doesn't just say, forgive the people. It says, make a list of the people in your life who you ha- have had conflict with and go to them and make it right. You actually have to go to the person if it's safe to do so. And you actually have to go and reconcile. And I was like, wow, that's so powerful. That's what taught us to do. And we find that so hard to do often. But this is why a, a place like Alcoholics Anonymous, Anonymous has become so powerful in people's lives because it pushes them to to embody these scriptures about making peace. So peace is what the Lord is calling us to And I bless you. I invite the worship team up to do one, one last song. And I bless you to be at peace with others.